Hello and welcome to the Next Goal Wins podcast. Today's episode is episode number nine and we are joined by a man who has managed clubs such as Portsmouth, Blackpool, Blackburn, Oxford United and is currently the Lincoln City manager. We are delighted to be joined by Michael Appleton. We hope you enjoy and thanks again for listening to the podcast. Welcome to another episode of Next School Wins Podcast. How are you two? Yeah, I'm very good. Uh, excited about today's guest. He has played over 160 professional games and has managed clubs such as Portsmouth, Blackburn, Blackpool, Oxford United and is currently the Lincoln City manager. Uh, just want to introduce Michael Appleton. How are we, Michael? I'm very well, fellas. Yeah, very well. Um Looking forward to actually uh, getting back on the grass again uh, over the next couple of weeks. Looking forward to a new season. Yeah, I can imagine. So if we go right back to the start, where it all began, uh, you grew up in Salford. Um, what was it like to get the chance to join Manchester United, as in growing up in Salford? Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a great opportunity uh, from someone like myself who... You know, anyone who um, knows Salford as a place, it's very much a, um, a red city. Um, obviously, Manchester's a big place, Greater Manchester's an even bigger place, but um, as a Salford lad, there's no doubt about it that, um, you know, Man United was was the team that everyone supported and, um, you know, I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to, to go there as an apprentice and sign professional farms and... You know, eventually, actually, um, you know, play for them on a couple of occasions. Yeah, so you you were like like a few of our guests before. You were coached by my uh, my granddad Eric Harrison. What was he like as a coach, and how much of an influence did he have uh, on your playing days, and obviously maybe moving into your coaching days? Yeah, he had a, he had a massive influence. Uh, you know, and there's no doubt about it. Obviously, you know, Eric for a number and number of years, the amount of players that he produced at the football club, I'll be very surprised if it ever gets surpassed at any clubs up and down the country. Um, and I think that certainly uh, from a playing point of view, he had that, um, I'll try the best way to describe it, but he had a knack of you wanting to do really well for him. That's the best mm-hmm. way I can describe it. I, I can't actually yeah. describe it any other way that... Um, you know, same as Sir Alex, really, where you had that much respect for them. Um, you you always wanted to perform and play well and do well. And, um, you know, that that's the sort of biggest, um, you know, uh, I could, that's the biggest compliment I can give him. But I think even from a, from a coaching point of view, I remember... Um, one, I remember something he said one day, and I've used it, and, and I've done a couple of interviews with with papers, national papers, etc., over the, the years. And I always remember this because he he always said to me at one point, he said, "Listen, you're going to have a good career as a player." Uh, obviously, he didn't really, he didn't know what was going to happen in terms of the injury, but yeah. he said, "You'll have a good di- career as a player." He said, "But I think you'll have an even better career as a coach because you listen." He mm. said, "When I speak, you give me eye contact. You know, I know you're taking the information in." Um, and he, he said, I genuinely think you, you will go into the coaching side of it. So um, that stuck with me massively, um, certainly through my time when I was getting injured and I'm thinking to myself, you know, what do I do next? Yeah. So did you sort of take take uh, bits out of what he did in his training sessions? Have you take, taken them into stuff that you do nowadays? Yeah, definitely. And interestingly, um, I had a conversation with um, uh, Paul McGuinness 
probably about a month or so ago, obviously you'll, you'll know mm. from his time at yeah. United, the amount of time, the amount of time that he spent there as a coach and, and education welfare officer. But um, we, and we were talking about um, how Eric used to, even when we were doing 11 v 11s, it, 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 it sort of like creates scenarios um, where you, you almost taught yourself at times and he was clever enough. You didn't realise, you didn't think you were, but it yeah. create a scenario where we're like, okay, we're going to play for the next 20 minutes. There's 70 minutes on the clock. There's 20 minutes to go. This side's 2-0 down. This side's 2-0 up. How are you going to approach the game? And mm. it's only sort of subconsciously that sometimes you take these things on because... You know, I've done that many a times over the last, you know, five or six years as a coach and as a manager. Not at the time realising that I've took it on board from the likes of Eric and, and, and other people. And it's only when you start talking about it and go, oh, yeah, remember, we used to do that all the time as, mm. you know, young yeah. lads back in the day. And, <laughs> um, and yeah, and they're, they're, I think a lot of it, when you take things from people, I wasn't one who, I wasn't someone who written down sessions or you know, wrote down stuff. At Manchester United during that time, there was uh, plenty of quality talent coming through, including yourself. Um, who, in your opinion, do you feel was the best player that you played with at the club at the time? Oh, uh, oh God. Uh, there were so many good, one, good ones. I, I think, I think the, the obvious one for me is probably, you know, as talented a player that, I've like probably seen, ever seen is Scalzi. Um, mm. He just did things one to two seconds quicker than everybody else, and seen things one to two seconds quicker than everybody else. So, you know, whether that was a pass, a shot, a cross, creating movement for himself, um, and creating space, sorry for himself, by clever movement. Um, you know, at the time, Giggsy, you know, Betts. Uh, Roy, Eric, you know, some unbelievable mm. players and the, the impact that sort of Eric had on the club at the time was incredible. Um, but in terms of actual natural talent um, and the ability to, to play the game, I think Scolzi was the best. Yeah. So obviously you went on a few loan spells uh, during your time at United. Do you know, as a mm. what I'd like to know is, you know, as a young player going out on loan, what sort of mentality did you have going out on loan? Was it sort of... I'm going to play as, obviously you're going to play as well as you can. Was that to try and get back at United to push into the first team? Or did you have in the back of the mind sort of, I'm going to put myself out there to look for other clubs that might want me on a permanent basis? I think I think the first time I went out on loan, uh, believe it or not, to Lincoln, um, <laughs> was was definitely to sort of try and force my way back into the, the first team fold at United and, and get into the first team squad. Um, I think... It was a massive eye opener for me. Um, like a lot of young players at the time, uh, you're not really ready to to go into that type of environment in terms of the football league environment. Um, yeah. You're in a little bit of a bubble at the Premier League clubs, United and the big clubs. But I think, um, yeah, definitely it was a big eye opener for me, and um, I knew that if I, if I was going to have to leave United, I would have to. Uh, be stronger mentally and physically. Um, so when I did return, you know, I, I worked really, really hard, knowing that I'll give it my best shot. At United, see if I can get in, see if I'm good enough yeah. to to stay around. And if I'm not, and I have to move on, then make sure that 
I can do that because the second time I went out on loan, um, I had a little spell with with um, Wimbledon and play for them in the inter sort of is it the inter total cup as it was at the time yeah, yeah. to almost like play through the summer. Really enjoyed my spell there. It was brilliant. They wanted to sign me, um, but then I, when I eventually went to Grimsby, it, I knew it was almost sort of do or die for me really in terms mm. of when I got back and. Uh, when I went back to United after the spell I had at Grimsby, I did really, really well there. I had a couple of months and I got into all, all the European squads when I returned and I was so close to um, the, the the team in terms of being on the bench a few times. Um, mm. And it was one of them where I thought to myself at that time, a lot, of, a lot of my friends had left the club and I thought to myself, well, I need to make a decision here. And interestingly, you know, I, I went to see the manager... Um, three times and it was only the third time where I had the courage to ask him to leave the first two times <laughs> the first two times I knocked on his door and you know he was like what can I do for you sit down and literally my mind went blank and I just <laughs> come up with some, something stupid like you know um, and then I'd come out of his room I'd go and see Eric and he's like have you spoke to him and I'm like <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't ask him. So it was the third time. It was the third time I went in and I just said, "Look, boss, uh, you know, I need to move on. I need to go and make a career for myself." And and to be fair, himself and Eric sat me down and just said, "Look, there's a future here for you. Um, you know, you're gonna have to be a little bit more patient, and we can play you in certain games." But I suppose that I'd seen a lot of my friends go and make a start, making a career for themselves. So, you know, that's what I uh, ended up doing really. Yeah, so how hard was it in the end to, to accept that you had to leave then? Yeah, it was difficult. Um, although, having said that, it was made a lot more easier by, like, like I say, the conversations I had with Eric and, and mm. the boss. Um, because they, you know, they said, look, it's not, it's not certainly down to you. you just, you're in a period where we've got you know, international after international in the team. Yeah. And, you know, a lot, of, lot, a lot of them were midfield players. A hell of a lot mm. of them were midfield players. Um, so I was just a little bit unlucky, really, timing-wise. You know, I always used to joke at my mum and dad that their timing was terrible. You know, like, <laughs> obviously, you know, I was like the year after, and, you know, some of the lads in my year know that we were the year after the class of 92. Yeah. You know, and that's the only year, really, that people remember. Um, so that I can assure you, the class of '93 um, got a rough, <laughs> rough end of it. Um, but no, it it was it was one of them where I was 21 at the time, and for as difficult as it was, being a massive Man United fan and from Salford and family, obviously mm. proud that I had the opportunity to play there. I knew that the time was right, and um, you know, at the time, Preston sort of come about, and Colin Murdoch and John Macken had already left, so. For me to go to Preston was a, a little bit of an easier decision. Yeah, you touched on Preston there, which was your f- your first permanent move away from United. Um, how did the setup there differ to Manchester United setup? At, obviously, the training ground and everything to do with that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the actual setup was was, was pretty good. If I'm being honest, I mean, they were yeah. they were a, a League One club at the time. Um, Deepdale at the time, I think, if I can remember correctly, it was either two sides had been done or three sides had been done. You know, as yeah. it is now, it, look, it yeah. looks great and it's all done, the four sides. But I think it might only be two sides that were done and it had like two of the older stands. Mm. Um, so that had work that needed to be done on it. Uh, the lucky thing is the, the pitch had been ripped up, the Astro, so it was a grass pitch yeah, yeah. and that was fantastic. Um, 
But the training ground, they never owned the training ground at the time. That was owned by BAE. Um, I know they own it now. Um, but it was sufficient. It was it was fine. It was like, you yeah. know, there was changing rooms. There was a, a canteen area. There was a down uh, downtime area. Um, so it was one of them where... Um, for what we wanted and what we needed, it was good. And obviously it was around the time, it was Gary Peters who took us there, but David Moyes was the assistant. Um, and obviously when Gary lost his job after about six months of us being at the club, David took over and that's when things started to accelerate. Hmm. So you, you achieved promotion with Preston uh, in 2000. You've experienced it both as a manager and as a player. How do the experiences differ getting promotion? Um, I think I think it's ten times more satisfying as a manager. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I mean that with great respect to all the players out there who've been successful and who have played with. But um, as players, as an ex-player, and, and now I can speak about players. When you're a player, you're very selfish. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> all you know. You you've got you've got, and you have to be to be fair to a degree because. You know, I'd like to think I was as good as a teammate as anybody in terms of, you know, wanting to win and be part of the team. But ultimately, you know, you had to make sure that you did your job and did your job to the best of your ability. And, you know, once you left that training ground, you didn't have to worry or think about anyone else other than making sure that you're in good condition, you're mentally in a good place and you're ready for the next game. And, and that was it. Whereas a manager, not only are you looking after and got to... Um, be aware of what you know. Twenty twenty five players are up to, and whether they're in a good frame yeah. of mind, and whether they're physically fit. You've probably got another ten, fifteen, twenty, fifty, depending on the size of the club you're at. Yeah. Uh, staff members as well. So um, to go through a season as a manager, and even as assistant manager and coach, but slightly less scale, um, to play forty six games and. And come out, you know, uh, as a victor, getting promotion. Um, I, I, you know, it's a fantastic feeling. Um, and I've had some really, really good sort of feelings. Um, you know, in terms of my management career, in, in terms of cup runs and promotions, and yeah. I've had some horrendous ones as well. And with a couple <laughs> of defeats at Wembley in finals, which was hard yeah. to take. Yeah, I can imagine. So um, after Preston, you moved to West Brom, which is where, well, unfortunately, your career got cut short. Um, do you remember the point at which you knew that you had to call it time on your career? I do, yeah. Yeah, that was a dark one. Um, I remember playing in a, um, I played in a reserve team game at Newcastle, and it was at Newcastle Falcons at the time, the Rugby mm. Union uh, Stadium. And... Um, uh, f- I, for some reason, I was going into Preston um, that that weekend because it was a Friday night and we yeah. had the weekend off. And um, I got a member of staff to drive my car to Newcastle. I got up with the players on the bus with the young players and stuff. And I remember playing in the game, and probably about twenty minutes in or so, I was thinking to myself, "It doesn't feel good." This, you know, I've, yeah. I've been doing rehab for two years. I've had three operations. It doesn't feel great this at all. And then. Like they had like young players skipping past me and going round me, and, mm. and that was my biggest strength, you know. Being yeah. out of possession, I was, you know, that was my biggest strength. Winning the mm. ball back, screening the defenders, and um, I remember it was, it like I say, they must have been half an hour on the clock, maybe. Um, yeah. And I, I just remember, I mean, 
people must have been thinking, what the hell is he going? What's he doing? What's he doing? Like, you know, I literally, I just, I just walked off the pitch, didn't say anything to anybody, just walked off the pitch, didn't get showered, just went into the changing rooms, took my boots off, put my trackie on and just left and just drove. I knew, I knew it done. I knew yeah, it was yeah. done. Um, and I drove from Newcastle to Preston. So it took just over two hours. Um, I arrived back at uh, in Preston, I'd say maybe midnight, um, ended up falling out of the car because I've been in the car for that long and my knee had stiffened right over yeah, and fell yeah. out of the car. And I'm thinking, bloody hell, what's this all about? But um, And I knew I knew that was that was the time. And I went to see the surgeon on the, I think it was a Tuesday or the Wednesday, um, and that's when he said, look, Michael, he said, you, you know, you can't put your knee through any more of this. He said, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, my advice would be to to concentrate on, you know, things um, outside of football. So, yeah, it was it was difficult. It was a difficult moment. How did you deal with that disappointment? Um, was there anything you used as a release? Um, yeah, um, and I was quite fortunate, to be fair. Two things. One, Gary Megson at the time was was brilliant because um, he said to me, just he said, stick around and just stick mm. to a routine. Because I was ready to, because I was living in the Midlands at the time, I was ready to move back up north towards like Preston and the Manchester area. And he just said, look, stick to a routine, come in every day, put your kit on, go and do what you were doing before yeah. you got the news. Um, and then figure out what you want to do, whether you want to go into coaching, whether you want to step away from the game. And um, I did that, and I, I used to watch the, the lads train every morning. I was I still had my kit on and stuff, so I felt like a coach, even though I wasn't a coach. Yeah. And then the other one was the gym, and um, I, I sort of took to the gym. So I like quite, I, that was my release, yeah. that was my getaway, and I ended up going absolutely massive. <laughs> about fifteen, so and I was getting obsessed with it. I was I was having like three or four protein shakes a day, and it was just yeah, I was getting obsessed, but. But it, in a way, it helped me because it, it could have gone you yeah. know, completely the other way, really. Do you know mm. what I mean? I could have gone and, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the players struggle now with gambling, mm. with alcohol and all, drugs, all these things. And, and listen, at the end of the day, that could have quite easily have been me because it was, you know, I'd lost 10 years of my career, yeah. you know, and it was on the up at the time. And, you know, we were doing well and we just got promoted with, uh, with West Brom and we're now in the Premier League. So, um yeah, it was it was it was tough to take. It was a difficult moment, um, but I was lucky that you know I had, you know, I had good people that, that allowed me to go into the coaching side of thing, which certainly helped me. So, what was your first move under coaching now? First, first move. It was um, so I did a little spell um, with the first team because what happened is Gary Megson got sacked and Frank Burrows took over, and he asked mm. me to help him out. So I did a little spell there, um, but it was then it was A.D. Bouvroy to come into the club as a, an okay. academy manager, um, and um, he just said, "Why don't you come down and have a look and take one of the younger age groups um, and see what you think?" So um, so I did do, and I enjoyed it. So I ended up taking the fourteens for about six months, about half a season. Um, and you know, I was I was in the minibus on a Sunday morning at like seven o'clock, going from West Brom <laughs> to Tranmere and all these places, and uh, 
it was very different to the lifestyle that obviously you know you have as a, as a professional football and stuff so so that was a good experience for me but then Aidy'd left to go to Leeds uh, as first team coach and I remember um, Dan Ashworth had, had come in just previous to that and Dan took over uh, the academy manager role and um, he basically just created a role for me. You know, you hear a lot in academy football now about development coach. There's loads and loads of development coaches, but back then there was no such thing as a development coach and he created a role for me, which basically I looked after the best four players in every age group, sorry, from the age of 12 up to 18. And he wanted me to almost accelerate them as players and give them a little bit more one-to-one uh, -one time uh, and I did that for about 12 months uh, before getting the youth team job in the 18s role. Would you say that almost sort of apprenticeship coaching apprenticeship as, as such coaching the younger age groups has actually went on to give you necessary tools to succeed in management? I think so I think yeah I, I definitely I, I, I'm a big believer that um, you know to be fair to Dan he used, he used the phrase you know you need to do your time in the trenches mm. Mm. Um, and I think I did that you know I think um, I think all them experiences that's it sound of like getting up early on a Sunday morning and having to not just be the coach be the dad be the you know the everything mm. the guardian to these players and um, I think they helped me I think when I went in to do the youth team uh, the good thing about being a youth team coach or a reserve team coach is you can you can use lots of ideas and make loads of mistakes and it's not a big deal yeah. because it's not three points on the line and you can yeah. get away with it and you can you can try things in training and you don't get judged as much because the, the players don't see they don't see through it as much as what they would do at first team level so I think that definitely helped me in some of the darker moments of that as a coach and a manager um, and helped me to sort of put things in perspective. So do you think, you know, your, your playing days got cut, cut short. Do you think that made you push yourself more on the coaching side because you felt like on a personal level you mattered to prove yourself still? Yeah, I mean, I think it was one of them. I made quite a few mistakes, to be fair, really, in my early days coaching and, and mm. certainly going into the management side of it. I think, I think, and I think that was due to uh, having my career taken away from me. So I always felt in the earlier part of my career I was, I was in too much of a rush yeah. I was in too much of a rush to get to the top um, and, 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 and it was one of them where um, for some reason I, I had in my head that I had to be the, the best, the youngest, the, you know, yeah. I just had to break, break records because I've had this like 10 years taken away from me in my playing career. So um, yeah, in the early part I was, I was far, far too much in a rush to, to sort of get to the top, whereas now, you know, I'm... I'm 10 years or so down the line in terms of the coaching and, and, and management side of it and I'm still only 44 and I hope I've got the next 20 odd years or so in, in the game managing and coaching so um, and I think naturally you know I, I back myself as a coach I do I think that's one of my biggest strengths and um, you know hopefully that'll be certainly good enough to sort of get me through the next 20 years and keep me in football. So Portsmouth was your first managerial permanent job. What was it like to take charge of a club, obviously, of that size? It was brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, I, I didn't have any expectations whatsoever in terms of getting mm. the job. I, I mean, 
Uh, I'd spoke to, to Roy Hodgson, I was the assistant manager at West Brom at the time, so as a young coach, I was an assistant manager in the Premier League, which you know was, was, was brilliant anyway, yeah. working with a top, top coach. Um, and I spoke to him and just said, look, Portsmouth want to speak to me. And he said, look, you know, go and speak to them, see what they've got to say. I knew they'd spoken to about 12 or 13 managers already before me, and so I had no expectations. Yeah. It just went... But I hit it off with the, the owner at the time, who was... Um, he was a Russian guy called Roman Dubov, and he had a, mm. a, a partner, that him and his partner, basically, uh, through one of their companies, and had got ownership of the club, and... I hit it off with him. He had an injury. He was an ice hockey player and he had an injury similar yeah. sort of time in his career as an ice hockey player. Um, and um, yeah, I basically got asked to go for a second interview, which was a bonus. Um, met his partner that time and within an hour of sort of going for the second interview, they offered me the job. And I've got to say for the first probably couple of months, or maybe, 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 one and a half months, six weeks or so, it was brilliant. Yeah. Um, things were going really well. I had a load of senior players in the dressing room, experienced international players who I was building a bond and a relationship with. And then the club went into administration and the floor just mm. went beneath me uh, overnight. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were done 12 points immediately and it was just... It was just one thing after the other. In the January, I had to sell my six best players... Mm-hmm. They all had to go. I had to replace them with young players from Premier League and, and Championship clubs. So, you know, you'd have players earning sort of double figures a week, you know, your tens to fifteens to twenty grand a week and I was having to replace them with players earning a thousand pound a week and yeah. who, who people had never heard of. Um and the biggest satisfaction I got from that season was we had an incredible relationship with the fans. Uh, there was a real togetherness, you know, uh, as a club and as a unity. There were so many things that happened in that time that would make your eyes water. Where one day we turned up and the kit man, um, big uh, Kev, said to me, he said, "Oh, we can't train today." So I said, "What? What are you on about?" He said, "Well, we've got no equipment. There's no football." <laughs> no. I said, "What are you on about? We've got a container full. You know, get him out yeah. of the container every single." He said, yeah, that's the problem. He said, the people who own the container have been in overnight and changed the locks. Because oh. obviously we were in administration and bills couldn't pay, be paid. Yeah, so yeah. So we clearly hire it, you know. So things like that. And we couldn't pay for bills when people got injured, so we couldn't have scans. Um, we couldn't pay for... So the club were paying, obviously, food at the time. So we were then having to um, get all the staff and the players together and, and make... it. Sorry, um, get a company who would come in and, and cook for us and we, it, it was just it was incredible some of the things that we had to do the players were on um, a pay cut of 20% um, mm. the administrators are saying to me look the club's going to go under if we don't find money from somewhere so I managed to convince the players to take an extra 5% cut which would allow us to keep staff on and allow us to keep the club running for another 6 months till the end of the season um, I mean that's that they they were things that were a massive massive education in themselves. Um, so for us to get only get relegated on the second to last game of the season with all that mm. the twelve points and everything, it won't be seen as an achievement in the record books. It'll be seen as Portsmouth went down and you know they got deducted points. But for me, for us to take it as far as we did, 
uh, was a you know really really incredible achievement. So, did you find, in a way, did it help bring the team together? Obviously, because you're all kind of like chipping in, fighting together, one battle, joining as a big team, rather than you know some some players might have just been thinking about the next move. Was it? Did it bring you closer together in the end? I think it did. I think it did, uh, especially initially. Um, but what happened was obviously six lads left in January, which was difficult. Mm. So you're having to bring new players in and, and, and bed them in. And and what was happening all the time was is that because some of the lads who were still left were on big salaries, I was always getting under pressure from administrators saying that, you know, they need to take deferrals or they need to take cuts. Um and they wanted me to have the conversations with them rather than themselves. Um so I felt like a negotiator, you know, I was almost yeah. like, I felt as if I was doing their job for them. Um so for as much as it brought us together, there was always something every single day that was trying to rip that apart and tear that apart because, you know, you'd have one player saying, well, they've rang my agent and they're telling me that mm. I'm not going to get paid next month. And, and it, so it was a difficult, difficult scenario, but there's no doubt about it that the more adversity that you do uh, have as a club, it, it can work in, in your favour in terms of bringing you together. Yep. Um. You then moved on to Blackpool. Uh. What was your experience like managing managing there? Um. Good club. Um. Uh. I just made a poor choice, and what I mean by mm. that is, don't mean by the club in any way, shape, or form. Listen, it's one of them where I played for Preston North End, so going there it was slightly controversial anyway because it's yeah. like a Man U, Man City, Liverpool, yeah, it's yeah. like that type of. So it was slightly, kind of, but the biggest mistake I did, I didn't do my due, due diligence on the, on the ownership. Um, mm. You know, um, I think what happened to me at Portsmouth could happen to anybody. Um, yeah. So I've got no regrets about that. You know, that can happen to anyone at any time. But um, the Oysters probably as difficult or probably the most difficult people I've ever dealt with, especially Carl. Yeah. Um, you know, I've never come across anyone like him to be fair and I hope I never do uh, in football um, yeah it was a difficult end that was probably the reason why I left so early if I'm being yeah. honest um, it was yeah it was just really really difficult to deal with and you know it was one of them where I knew very very quickly that I wasn't going to be able to work with him um, so when the opportunity to come to to go to Blackburn I jumped at it um, but having said that, like I say, that the, the the staff that I worked with at Blackpool were great. That the, the actual players, um, you know, I only had twelve or so games there as a manager, but they give me everything. We 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 had a good group. We were playing on an absolute cabbage patch of a pitch. It was yeah. like, I don't know if you remember the time. It was horrendous. Yeah. You know, yeah. every manager that played there come in the office afterwards and just spent twenty minutes complaining <laughs> about the pitch. And, <laughs> I'm having to apologise every time, but so yeah, I mean, it was a good club, and uh, I enjoy working with the people there. Other than obviously, you know, Carl and, and and the owners. Yeah, so you touched it there. How important is it for you and obviously other managers for to have such a, to have a close relationship with the with the board and the the director of the club? I think it is. I think it's really important, and again, that's why that that spell I had in management between like Portsmouth, Blackpool and Blackburn. I think that's why it was a big eye-opener for me and a big education for me where 
when I left Blackpool, obviously I jumped at the chance of leaving the club because I couldn't, you know, have a relationship with with, with the mm. people that were running it. And then obviously I've gone to a, another club where the owners are thousands of miles away in India, yeah. um, and I just didn't get a chance to sort of build up any rapport and any relationship with them because I wasn't there long enough. Um, it was a, a dressing room that was full of experienced players and the remit when I first met met, met them was to reduce the wage bill um, and bring the um, average age of the squad right down and be competitive in the championship. So it was yeah. first season stay in there, second season establish ourselves in the championship and then obviously after that kick on and we reduced the wage bill in January by about four million in literally a month. Um, and then obviously we would have had to probably double that again uh, come the end of the season which we were confident of doing and I ended up losing my job it, it, it's the only time in sort of management I've been sacked and I think people forget that you know I got head hunted from Portsmouth I got head hunted from Blackpool and I got head hunted to a degree from Oxford to go to Leicester later on in my career so Blackburn's mm. the only time I've literally lost my job and the way I lost it was irritating. It, it bugged me at the time, and it was. I was quite angry because I got sacked by a letter on my desk by the um, head of football at the time that I was there for two and a half months, and to this day I've never met him. Yeah. So you go and figure that one out. Yeah. Being <laughs> sat by someone who leaves a letter and hasn't even got the bottle to face you and look you in the eye, and to this day now, from then. I've still to this day never met the guy. So, um, That's crazy. It, yeah, it, it was difficult. It was difficult for me to take. So I think that was a, the reason why I took a year out. And I didn't take, take a year out in terms of sat on my backside and, and not doing anything. What I did was I just went, I went and watched loads and loads of football at different levels. Mm. Yeah. So your next move was obviously Oxford. Did you feel like you needed to go to a club which was a long-term project? rather than say what you'd done in the past and they wanted short-term success? 100%, absolutely, definitely. And, you know, I've, I did so much due diligence on the owner at the time, Daryl Eels. Um, mm. Daryl, I knew, was a massive, massive football fan. He was a big Birmingham City fan. Um, I knew his background in terms of, you know, he, he was a CEO, um, you know, at um, Lloyd's Capital, like hedge fund, all that type of stuff, investment banking. So I knew that um, I would have to spend my money wisely and um, I would have to justify everything I did, but I thought that would be good for me. Um, hmm. You know, he made it very, very clear from day one that, you know, he see me as the person that, you know, was going to take the club to the next level. Um, so I felt comfortable and, you know, I actually lost my, <laughs> I actually lost my first four games at, at Oxford um, and then we drew three. So seven games in after being out for just over a year yeah. uh, and the way it ended at Blackburn, it was like seven games in and not won a game. Um, so it was, it was the first six months was, was pretty tough, but Daryl knew that I'd walked into a dressing room that had a losing mentality because Mm. at Oxford they'd lost eight of their last nine games the, the previous season and it takes time to sort of get spin that and get it round and the second half of the season and the following two seasons I'd be very surprised 
I hope I do touch wood, but I'd be very surprised if we have that if I have that much success at another club within such a short yeah. space of time. In terms of promotions, Wembley finals, but probably more importantly we made the club a, a ridiculous amount of money on young players being sold to championship and mm. Premier League clubs. So you touched on it then, how hard is it, you know, for a manager for you to come into a club and change that, that mentality that they've already got instilled in them from previous forms? Yeah, so I, so I mentioned obviously about, you know, you can either you sort of spend your way out of that, but we, we just changed the culture from top to bottom and, you know, I, it was around about the time I was, two things, one, I was doing a lot of reading around leadership because um, it felt it helped me. Um, and then secondly, it was around about the same time I was doing my master's uh, in sports directorship. So we did a lot of things within that was around leadership and going into, you know, there's a lot of like SWOT analysis type stuff. And I used a lot of the stuff that I did on, on my master's um, in the group. And we changed the mentality of the, the, of the, the, the staff, which then sort of almost rubbed off on the players. Um, and... We built a relationship with the fans that wasn't there before, um, you know, and we, we more than doubled the average attenders. And I don't think that was just down to style of football and being successful. I think it was the relationship yeah. that we built with them and we went on a couple of pre-season tours and we did a lot of interaction with the fans, with the players and mm. um, very, very quickly that grew and grew. and. I think by the time I left, we were averaging like nearly 9,000, which before it was oh, like yeah. 3,500. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it was almost treble. So, um, yeah, I think it, we, we did the little things really, really well, which when you get a group of good players and good players and keep them organised, I think that obviously, you know, um, puts you in good stead. How important is it for you to get make sure that the, the players have such a good relationship with the fans? And how, how do you sort of get them to build that relationship well I think you I think first and foremost they have to be aware of the community that uh, the club that they're working mm. for and they're playing for and um, I think it's important that you know when you see players in an afternoon and they've got to go and visit a school uh, or a shop or a shopping mall these type of stuff I think it's important that when they go they're representing the football club so the way they behave and they act uh, with people is important because you know it's like anything in life isn't it if, if we have a conversation yeah. we get on the next time mine or your name comes up in a conversation whatever it may be be like yeah, if, yeah. You, if, if you if you know if you're humble and respectful you'd be like oh actually yeah no the, the, he's a good lad or he's a good person and mm. stuff and and that builds and I think that's what we did at Oxford where all of a sudden it's actually do you know what the 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 players are really approachable, the decent people, the humble, um, yeah. and they just happen to be footballers, you know. So it, mm. it was about making sure that we, yeah, we wanted to sign good players, but we wanted to sign good people as well. Um, yeah. You know, and like I say, we used SWOT analysis uh, of, of things to help us within the club. And um, I think one of the b best books I ever, ever read was Legacy uh, regarding mm. the old blacks, you know. And I yeah, actually. Yeah. I actually somehow got hold of James Kerr, the author of the book. I got hold mm. of his email address and um, I sent him an email just out of the blur. just thought, why not? Might as well. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, 
anyway, I sent him an email just saying, look, really appreciate it. Enjoyed the book, thought it was fantastic. Um, not not expecting anything. I just said, look, you're yeah. a big influence on me and some of my staff. And anyway, about a month later, um, I left my phone number there. I got a month later, I got an email basically saying, when can I come in? Loved your story, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I, I had to... So, and he left his, he left his, his number because I had left my number. So I rang him and I just said, look, James, look, listen, I'd love you to come in and speak, but I've got no budget. I said, I can't budget for you know, like speakers. Yeah, yeah. And he said, no, he said, I don't, I don't want paying a penny. I just, you know, he said, you know, I, I love the email that you sent. It was great. I appreciate you. And uh, yeah, he came in and he spoke to the whole football club, academy, first team, uh, yeah. CEOs, chairman, everybody. Um, and for 45 minutes, he's shown us a video and presented us a video about the All Blacks and how they work and you couldn't hear a pin drop. Like, literally couldn't hear a pin drop yeah. uh, in the hall. So, um, you know, stuff like that sort of resonated with with everyone within the club and that's how the club grew. And I'd say for two and a half years, it was, um, it was as good as you can get it in, in football teams. Mm. It doesn't matter what level you, you know, you're playing at, coaching at, managing at. In terms of an environment, it'd be very, very difficult to ever beat that. So you obviously took you took them to Wembley. Um, how was it um, managing at such a you know an iconic stadium? It was the best and worst two days of my life. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was it, in football terms anyway. It was um, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, um, it was yeah, it was great. It was it was great, and I think you appreciate. You know, even looking back now at the games, the first game against Barnsley, we were massive underdogs, mm. and we put on a really good show, and we and we give them a really really good game. Uh, they went on to get promoted to the championship. Obviously, we were the League Two team at the time, and and we did really well, and there was seventy odd thousand there, which was was incredible. So it wasn't mm. you know like a twenty thousand at Wembley, and it just felt yeah, like yeah. it probably is now for the Premier League boys playing without anyone there. Um, so that was that was tough. It, the second defeat was the toughest. So obviously the following season we went back and we were favourites against Coventry. We were like mm. challenging for the playoffs. They were near the bottom, and ended up getting relegated out of League One. And we we beaten them in the league. I think it was four nil about four weeks previous. So yeah, um, it was a typical. Probably some of the players going into the game expecting to win the game and. You could argue that was, you know, my job to make sure they didn't go into the game complacent because surely there was nothing we did prior to it that would sort of suggest that. But it was just one of them things. We didn't start well. We were 2-0 down and we just give ourselves too much to do. And um, But again, the experience of sort of playing in front of a crowd, which was close to 80,000, um, yeah. is, is difficult to beat. Yeah. How hard is it to watch, you know, coming second in a cup like that? How hard is it to watch the winners make that walk up the steps and you have to watch them celebrate? How hard is that? Yeah, it's difficult. And the, the first time round, I made the players watch it. Um, yeah. Just because it out of respect, really. And um, it was mm. interesting because the second time round when it happened, it was difficult. But I actually give the players the option if they wanted to go in and not watch it. They don't they didn't have to. Because yeah, yeah. But fair play to the players, and that probably just shows the group of players we had. You know, the captain and that. Well, it was like no. 
to be fair, out of respect, I think it's the right thing to do. Um, yeah. And, and that's like I say, that's the culture that we set. You know, at the end of the day, we came second best. I, I, I still think our team was much better. It's just that, you know, they, they, they performed on the day and in the end, they, they dug out the result. Seems like your team sort of have that underpinning, uh, you know, togetherness culture. Um, a lot of respect. Mm. How do, how important do you think that is in management to have that underpinning of culture before everything else? For me personally, it is yeah, yeah. For me personally, it is I think, um, and I think they're the sort of values that you, you we had at United mm. as kids. You know, it was one of them where. I remember the boss saying, and, and, and this is obviously, this is why the job that Eric did was so impressive because there's one thing playing in the Premier League or at a top football club, um, and I'm slightly biased in saying this, but there's another thing playing for Man United. I, yeah. I can't explain it. It's just, it's just the pressure and everything that goes with playing for Man United and what's expected you uh, is different because, you know, the boss was massive on it, but then Eric sort of went out and, and did it from, from within the youth team as well and, and give players a, um, a grounding and, and you knew exactly what it'd be like if you had to go into the first team because the philosophy was dead simple. It was, it was to win, but to win in a, in, a, in a way that, you know, everybody wanted to see. So it was like, we had to win, but we had to win well. And they were yeah. the two things. Um, but having said that, and this is the reason why I mention it now and talking about it is that if we did lose, if we did lose, if there was any sign of sort of disrespect and, and feeling sorry for ourselves or not showing the opposition respect, you know, we, we got an absolute rollicking um, because yeah. we fought hard, we played hard, but at the same time, if the, other, if the opposition come out on top, it was, you know, important to show respect. And I think that stuck with me as well again. And... Um, I found it hard at times, certainly in my early career as a manager, when I lost to be uh, nice after the game because it's difficult because <laughs> everything that goes with it. But I think, I think it's important because at the end of the day, unless you've been a manager, it's very very difficult to explain how hard it is at ten to five when you've just lost, and then yeah. within five minutes you've got to go and speak to your players and then go and address the the uh, the media. Um, and some of the questions that you get can be very difficult with your emotions running high. Hmm. I find how hard is it to kind of bite your tongue in some situations in, in front of the media? Very, very difficult. Um, because they're very clever. They they ask the same yeah. question in about five or six different ways. There's <laughs> only so many times you can say the same thing. And to be fair, I remember in in my, I think it was my second year at. Um, at Oxford, um, my wife Jess, she she works in PR, and um, her boss um, is, it was a guy called Simon Kellner, and he used to be the uh, uh, the editor for the Independent for about thirteen years before he set his own PR business up, and he gave me a little bit of media training, and I always used to find um, uh, like video or camera or TV yeah. mu much easier than I did radio um, yeah. and I, I got into the habit on the radio because if if, uh, if I if, if the, I couldn't see if I knew the audience couldn't see me and it was only me and the person interviewing me I'd end up talking too much so I'd answer the yeah. question 
and it would take me about two or three minutes to answer the question <laughs> and I just because he never said anything so yeah. to be fair to to Simon he used to say to me answer the question and then even if there's that little bit of awkward silence whether it's one second two seconds three seconds almost give the, the guy who's interviewing that little look and a little bit of a nod as if to say that's me done you're going to have to fill the yeah. airtime now you know, yeah, and, yeah. and that certainly helped me going forward. It was like I'd answer the question, and the lad who was interviewing me knew I was getting nothing more, <laughs> and it wasn't my job to fill the space. At the time, yeah. I, was, I I used to think it was my job to fill the space, and and, and then he made me realise no, it's the interviewer's job to fill the space. <laughs> so you left Oxford uh, to go to Leicester under Craig Shakespeare. Mm. What was it like? No disrespect to the players at Oxford. To make that jump in calibre of players yeah it was brilliant enjoyed it absolutely loved it um, obviously I'd, I'd, I'd worked in the Premier League before as an assistant manager with Roy Hodgson so I felt mm. comfortable as a, as a young coach then I felt even more relaxed and at ease with myself because I had so much experience by the time I got to Leicester um, the fact that I was going in there as the assistant manager as well there isn't the responsibilities as an assistant as there is as a manager um, the fact that I had to go in there and do what I think I'm, you know, is my, my best attributes anyway is coaching. You know, again, it was music to my ears. Um, it was an opportunity to get back in the Premier League. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, and you think, you know, people maybe say, "Oh, should you have left Oxford? Should you have stayed there?" Mm. But when the Premier League come calling, it's a difficult place to say no to. Yeah. You know, it's very difficult. So. Um, so it was great, you know, working with the likes of Vardy, Mares, Maguire, these people, um, all international players. They just won the Premier League a couple of seasons back. Um, big club. Um, great, it was great. And I, I mean, the only thing obviously was was difficult is that I didn't see and didn't expect Craig to lose his job after eight games. So when he lost yeah. his job... Um, in fact, I took a couple of games, which we, you know, we won the two games that I was in charge, and I enjoyed that, you know, away at Swansea in the Premier League, which was great, um, and it was our first win for a while, and then we beat Leeds in the in the League Cup um, as well, and then I spent all week preparing the team for the Everton game, <laughs> and then Claw Puel come in the day day before the game and took the, took all the audits, uh, so. Um, but no, I mean, look, it was one of them where we just we just seen the game in two completely different ways, myself and Claude. So yeah. I had, you know, it was one of them. We didn't particularly get on that great, and you know, um, but it wasn't it, it wasn't a major issue. It was just one of them where it was never going to work. It was never going to work, and once the season had finished. Um, once the season had finished, I, I, I had a feeling what happened would happen. Um, I'm just disappointed how they did it. Um, yeah. You know, to do it for, you know, like the day before we were due back for pre-season and I was actually on my honeymoon at the time, believe it or not. Believe <laughs> that. Um, so oh to receive a call when you're on your honeymoon and, you know, you're about to return home and it, it, was, it was, yeah, it was... It was just the way it was done. It left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. But, yeah. um, you know, I just felt it could have been done earlier. You know, as soon as the season's finished, give me an opportunity to, you know, go and, and find work elsewhere if that's what if that's what they wanted. 
Yeah, obviously on a personal level, uh, being a Halifax Town fan, we've, we've got the claim to fame that we made Jamie Vardy. Um, what was he like <laughs> on a day-to-day in training? Do you know what? Vard, um, yeah, I, I find him great. He, he um, I think it'll surprise people how intelligent he is, football intelligence. Very, yeah. very intelligent. I mean, I did a lot of the pre-match and post-match analysis meetings because um, mm. Claude struggled with the, the language barrier um, so I did a lot of the preparation going into the games about the opposition and, and Vard was one of them where he knew everything about the opposition you know so mm. he probably comes across as a bit of a jack the lad and <laughs> um, someone who's always the loudest voice which a lot of the time he is yeah. don't get me wrong he's a joyful character yeah. but he takes his football serious and I don't think people see that side of him and seen enough of that side of him um, he knows who he's up against he knows what the strengths and weaknesses of that player um, you know even players in other positions you know I'd be taking a meeting and he'd be going happy one thing what about such and such and I'd have to say yeah. that's, that's the next slide just just away you know it's coming it's coming you know um, so but I loved it because I could have a you know, I could have a conversation with him and have a bit of banter with him and I knew that he, he really cared about his football. So it was brilliant, it was great. I mean, Riyadh was probably, um, other than obviously the lads I spoke about at United, he was as talented as a as player of coach. You know, obviously I played yeah. with the lads at United, your gigs, your scores, your nerves, all these. So, but I never coached them. I only played with them. But in terms of actually coaching, uh, Riyad was probably as, as as talented as a player I've ever coached. Oh, yeah, you can see that when he when he plays, he's, he's, that left foot is pretty pretty lethal. Um, so you left Leicester, as you said, and now you're now uh, at Lincoln City. Uh, how's your time been there so far? Do you know what? It's been good. I mean, it's been obviously a bit bit crazy and a bit disruptive. Yeah. Um, going into a football club that um, has had three years of success under different mm. management can be difficult, you know, because obviously you've got to fill fill the shoes of people who've been successful. Uh, but the one yeah. thing that, you know, they said to me when I, when I spoke to them is that they realised that things had to change. They, mm. They'd spent a lot of money getting success, you know, coming out of the conference and out of League Two. Uh, they played a certain style of football that they felt was going to be unsustainable going forward. Uh, it was very direct style and but worked and they they got the success yeah. doing it but um, I think the reason that they wanted me to come to the football club is that they wanted to find different ways of keeping the, the club sustainable and, and one of the ways was to improve value on the pitch and the way you improve value on the pitch is developing young players to allow them yeah. to flourish on the pitch for Lincoln and then hopefully you know, going and signing for, for bigger clubs in the Championship of the Premier League and obviously they clearly looked at my record at, at Oxford and felt if I could try and replicate that at Lincoln then obviously we'll hopefully have a little bit of success on the pitch but at the same time have a lot, lot of success off it with, with player sales so um, going in in September, October like I did um, the group we were the oldest average age in the in the in the yeah. uh, whole of the league, so I knew that had to change. We took a massive risk in January, but it was a calculated one because we um, 
we got rid of a lot of players and brought a lot of young players in. Um, and then obviously we went for a, a tough spell where people were like, oh, has he brought too many young players in? The results yeah. were not going to... And then come through that and results started to improve again and we were playing well. And then bloody COVID <laughs> arrived. So <laughs> it, was, it was one of them where we were just coming through a good spell and, and starting to play well again. And um, So it's been a little bit stop-start. But I think what's happened is because of the risk that we took in January and making so many changes... I think I think a lot of clubs are gonna be find it a lot more difficult now before the new season starts. Whereas yeah. because we made that many changes in January, we might only have to bring five or six players in now. Because which yeah, so I think yeah. I think what happened is it's basically in a quite long story short we've we've found ourselves in a actually stronger position than probably mm. most clubs because. You know, you'll find a lot of clubs, certainly in League One and League Two now, will probably have to bring 15, 16 players in. That's how big yeah. a turn around their squad yeah, will yeah. be. Mm. So, how hard has it been over the past few months to kind of keep the keep in contact with the team and make sure all your players are staying fit? How tough has it been to to do that? Yeah, it's been difficult. Um, doing a lot of this, a lot of Zoom calls with the players, making sure they're okay. Yeah. You know, obviously, you know, mental health is a big big part of sport now and um, I think there's a realisation that there's a lot of stigma surrounding it you know 10, ten years ago maybe even 3 or 4 years ago whereas now people are a lot more yeah. open up to speaking to people and talking about it and um, yeah we just try to I'd say try and keep them communication levels up as much as we could give them things to do whether it be social or obviously making sure they stay fit Um and just yeah, making sure that that the stuff that we are communicating to them, um, you know, will stand them in good stead for when we return for pre season. So we've had yeah. we've had a couple of voluntary sessions uh, over the last week or so. We're going to continue to do that for the next two weeks, and then we're looking to start pre season properly on the third of August. Yeah, so it's exciting times for you, uh, obviously yourself getting back getting back onto the pitch for your players as well well I think that wraps us up perfectly today uh, thank you very much Michael for joining us it's been an absolute much. pleasure to have you brilliant no, no problem no I've enjoyed it it's been great perfect thank you very much no worries no worries